There's a, a quote by a rich uh, televangelist wife, and many of you know that many televangelists have gotten into a lot of trouble throughout the years for various different things. And um, this quote I ran across uh, this week that I wanted to share with you to open up our series and what we're going to talk about the next three weeks, and here's the quote. None of us were evil people. We truly loved God and wanted to serve him. We never sat down and said, we are going to become arrogant. We are going to become calloused or insensitive. She says this, these maladies slip up on people. No one loved us enough to hold us accountable. No one looked beneath the glitter to see if our lives matched our performance. The thing that I wanted to talk with you a little bit about as we talk about this series for the next three weeks is this, is that when Normally, when I have people that come in and I have the joy of working with many of you and that come into my office and let's say I have the married couple that's um, in front of me and um, this young lady, she basically tells a story about last Friday night, I'm just giving you kind of a, not an exact description of what happened, but I'm trying to give you a story of this happens a lot, but she says something like this. Hey, um, my husband came home, he was angry, he, he said some things that really offended me, they hurt me, and uh, to tell you the truth, I, um, I'd, I would label it as verbal abuse. And as soon as she's done saying that, uh, about 99.9999999999, if there is such a thing, um, of the men say something like this, I didn't mean to do that. I, I, I didn't intentionally try to do that. And, um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Be, I guess I would ask you, is, is the majority of our sin in, in our lives premeditated intentional sin? Like, like, do you think that he woke up that morning and he said, man, I can't wait to verbally abuse my wife today? Well, no. Obviously, he didn't mean to do that. Now, trust me, there are many sins of commission. There are many sins that we, in a very malicious way, in an intentional way, we will hurt people, and we are very good at that. But sin, a lot of sin, a lot of things in our lives are subtle. They're they're filled with deception. Peter says, be careful, the devil prowls around like a roaring what? Lion searching whom he may devour, right? So a lot of the the spiritual battle, a lot of the things that we face, a lot of what's going on internally isn't necessarily Satan coming and sitting on the bedpost of our lives in the morning and say, I'm going to have, you're going to deal with this for the next week. It's rarely like that. It's way, way different than that. It isn't, it's, it isn't sin in a Superman costume who comes and says, big-ass sin, I'm sinning now. It's more cloak and dagger. Do you follow what I'm saying? 
She says here, she says, these maladies slip up on people, and they do. And they slip up on all of us, even though many of us are redeemed children of God. They slip up on us. But she says something really interesting, and it's this. No one loved us enough to hold us accountable. And I thought, isn't that really interesting? Because the day that we live in is this. No one basically speaks to each other about the things that they need to hold each other accountable to. Do you know why? Because we're very private people. We're very shut down people. We're very concerned about us. And there's not a lot of people who are in our lives that could literally say, hey, you need to think about this because you're really blowing it. The majority of people that I deal with when I do that, a lot of people, I wouldn't say, you know, but the majority would be, who are you to talk to me? What's happened to us? Why are we, why are we so defensive? What's happened? The issue that we're going to talk about over the course of the next next three weeks is an issue that I would tell you that is absolutely and completely, we believe in in the world that we live in, it's a complete private issue, and it has to do with money. It has to do with generosity. We felt that because of we're taught, we've talked for the last two months from Second Peter about transformation and the beauty of what God's done for us in the gospel, that we get a chance to participate with the divine now, that God has sent his son Jesus to save us, to now give us an eternal future, to now give us an identity, and now we have a chance to participate with the divine, but we add these things to our faith. And one of the things that we would like to say, we believe that our transformation, that if, as the gospel has transformed us, it actually affects all the areas of our lives. It's kind of disingenuous, is it not? For us to not want to talk about our pocketbooks, our money. Does our transformation actually bleed into that area of our lives? Turn with me, if you have a Bible this morning, to Luke chapter 19. Do you remember the song in Sunday school? It went like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up what? He climbed. Good job, kids. Okay. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. This is one of those stories that we've heard a billion times and almost... I think because we've heard it so many times, we become inoculated to some of the deeper truths that are in it because this is a really cool story about a man who had been transformed and what happened as a result of his transformation. It's really that simple. Read with me in uh, Luke 19. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small and 
or he was small of stature, verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, um, hurry, come down. And then look what he says, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him today, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Have you ever heard of the statement? Be careful what you ask for. What's the, what's the next line? You might just get it. Zacchaeus uh, started his day and all he wanted to be is he wanted to be and he wanted to see Jesus. He so badly wanted to be with Jesus that as an adult, you don't see this too often, he climbed a tree to see Jesus. Well, there are very few people in the world that I would climb a tree to see. I'm not as enamored as I used to be in my youth with people. My, I took my daughters some time ago to Disney World, and for those of you that have never been there, they have a parade at the end of the night at 9 o'clock. I believe it is 9 o'clock. And, um, of course, uh, people begin to gather for this parade down the main street of Disney World starting at 6 o'clock. It's mayhem. First of all, just to let you know, women in strollers are dangerous to society. <laughs> women, women in strollers in today's world that have like 50 babies in them, one stroller, you know what I mean? I mean, a rolling all around. I mean, everybody's trying to get their place. And um, my daughters were like, Daddy, are we going to go wait? You know, and I'm, I, I, I want a hole in the head. I mean, it, I don't want to wait for three hours to watch whoever it is coming by, but that's not why I was at Disney World that day. I wasn't at Disney World for me, trust me. I was working that day. And um, we, sat down, we sat down early, and uh, my daughters wanted to see somebody in the parade. Now remember, I have girls. And so they really didn't care about Mickey. They cared about somebody else. They cared about Minnie. I just want you to know, just to make sure we get the story clear, I really didn't care about Minnie. I didn't care about Mickey. I didn't care about the princess. I cared about bedtime for the kids. I cared about the, the parade being over and for us to go home and for me to put them to bed and for me to maybe have a little glass of wine with my wife. And that would be what I was enamored with that night. This situation that was taking place here with Zacchaeus would have been similar mayhem. Similar parade-like mayhem would have been the situation that was going on that would make a man, a rich man, usually rich men are fairly serious and they talk real slow and they wear suits, to climb a tree to see Jesus. Zacchaeus' many that day was... Jesus. 
He wanted to see Jesus. But let's be careful. Be careful what you ask for because you may just get it and a lot more. Right? Because trust me, Zacchaeus got a lot more than what he wanted. He must have been desperate. He wanted to see Jesus. But what we know is, is if you look at that scripture, look in verse 5 there. It says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So that would have been like my daughters looking at Minnie and doing this and, and wanting this so badly. Minnie, 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 look, see me, see me, see me, see me, right? Every kid's doing this. Thousands of kids are doing this. And Minnie stopping and saying, oh, Kelsey, I'm going to go to your house today. So that we see here the beauty of our Lord is the one who actually takes the initiative and moves into people's lives, surprises us with like this unbelievable movement of I'm moving in, I am the one who's plucking you out. I'm sure it had to be somewhat of a surprise for our young friend. But what takes place in this encounter is interesting, my friend, because when it says, he says, hurry and come down, and I must stay at your house today. Then he said, so he heard and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the Pharisees, they all grumbled. And then you get to the end of verse 7. It says, and he has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And then all of a sudden, verse 8, you find Zacchaeus celebrating and wanting to give his money away. What in the world happened at the house? that would make Zacchaeus go from a man who is a tax collector and a sinner, climbing trees, to now a man who's willing to come out the other end of that and say, I want to give all my money away. Something had happened in that house. Something had happened for this radical, life-changing lunch with God to mean something so greatly in his life. Because everything that had happened to him, everything that Zacchaeus knew about his life, listen now, everything that he knew had been reordered. Everything that he knew at that point, whatever he valued, and obviously he valued money, obviously he valued position, obviously his reputation wasn't too good. Everything about this suddenly turned on its end and was actually rearranged. And it should mark us. We should look at this and we should say, what in the world could have possibly happened? Be careful what you ask for. You may get it. And Zacchaeus starts the day climbing a tree just because he wants to see Jesus. And he walks out of his house at the end of the day writing big checks to people. I wonder if he knew how much Jesus wanted to see him. I wonder if he knew that Jesus had big plans and big changes in store for him. I wonder if he knew the meaning of the statement when it says, I must stay at your house today. And the question for you is, do you think he has plans for you? Do you think our Lord knows you? Do you? 
Do you think he loves you that way? Do you think he sees your plight, young lady? Young lady, young, young mom, do you think that the Lord sees you? The alone times that you feel pushing your baby this next Wednesday because your husband's gone, he's been gone for two days, and you don't think that the Lord is present? Do you think he cares about you? Do you think he sees you? Do you think he sees you in your pain at night when you fall asleep at night and you hate your life? You hate your loneliness? And you hate the struggle you're in? You hate the fact that where somebody that you love is at in their life and they're, they're in a horrible place. You just struggle. Do you think that the Lord sees you? Does he see you there? Does he have eyes and compa- of compassion upon you? And does he look at you and say, I must stay at your house today. I want to be with you. Do you think that? Do you believe in that kind of God? See, the work that's going on here, when Jesus came in and he spent time with Zacchaeus in the house, just to, just to let you know, this, this, is, this is exactly what Jesus does, you guys. This is exactly what the Lord does. This is what he's especially good at. The Bible calls him the great physician. You know what physicians can do? They can perform surgery. And some surgery was happening in this young man, Zacchaeus' life that day. And this is exactly what the Lord does with people. It's exactly what he wants to do with us, what he has done with us at conversion, and what he wants to continue to do with us. The Lord takes the initiative by moving into our houses. By the way, remember the association and the beautiful way that God tells the story of tabernacle and temple through, through redemptive history. The tabernacle in the Old Testament is actually a building. It's actually a tent. It's actually a place that people meet. The tabernacle now in the New Testament, the temple of God is what? It's our house. It's here. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So what's going on here is this beautiful thing that God does, and he moves into people's houses, he moves into their hearts, and what he does there is he radically transforms them. It's like the, the most true definition of this thing, extreme makeover. It's the, it's the, it's the beautiful, most... It's the perfect way to see it. And if you've ever seen this show, what I love is the ones that the, the people come in and they do their whole house. They, they, they make over the whole house and there's some that come in there and they actually do this. I don't like what this. And you know what? I want you to know something. I think that God wants an unbelievable, radical, extreme makeover of my house. And I've got to confess something to you. I don't want it. A lot of times. I don't like the color that Jesus paints the wall of my basement. I can keep telling you what I don't like. It doesn't matter because Jesus still does the work. He still loves me enough in my pain to do the work. See, the the whole idea of transformation... The whole concept of it is, if you think about it, just, just, just think about this for a minute. The whole concept of transformation at its core is extreme. It really is. 
is very extreme. It's extremely radical. Jesus didn't come to say, I've come to make you a nice mama or a good dad or a nice kid, a kid with good manners. Those are all fine things. Jesus came to do something far more radical than that. When Jesus is coming, when he lives in the temple of your life and in your heart, he's not, yes, what a friend we have in Jesus. We do have a friend in Jesus, but I want you to know he's come to take over your house. He owns your house and my house. He rules you and I. He takes over the whole thing, our marriages, our relationships, our conflicts, our values, our jobs. And yes, he takes over the parts of our house that have to do with our money. And all of these areas, what he wants is, is he wants us to trust his goodness enough to say, Lord, everything here is yours. Even my money. Even my children that I love so much. For those of you that are a little older, you may have heard of a little book that has been around for a long time called My Heart, Christ Home. Basically, it's a little book that talks about this man writes an analogy in this book about our walk with Christ being that we're this house and that we invite Christ into our life in this house and we, have, we are on a journey with Christ in the house and we, we take him through different rooms in the house, right? Let me give you some context for this story because it's really interesting. He says this at the beginning of this. He says, one evening I invited Christ into my life and what an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill and he started music where there had been silence. And in the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours and I want, you, I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. And so he begins, the Lord and him begin to walk through these areas of his life. And the first room is called the study. The second room is called the dining room. The third room is called the rec room. And then he comes to a place called the hall closet. And indulge me for a minute and listen, because I think it's really brilliant. And it really is associated very well with us. Here's what he says. One day I found Jesus waiting at the door for me when I came home. An arresting look was in his eye, and as I entered, he said to me, There is a peculiar odor in the house. Something must be dead around here. It's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. There was a small closet up there on the hall landing just a few feet square, and in that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anyone to know about. Certainly, I did not want Christ to see them. And I knew there were dead and rotting things left over from my old life. And I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit they were there. Reluctantly, I went up with him, and as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger, and he pointed to the door. 
And listen to this now. Listen to this, because this is how we all respond. He pointed to the door and says this, I was angry. That's the only way I can put it, the writer says. I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, and now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet. And I said to myself, this is too much. I am not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this smell, you're mistaken. I think I'll go out onto the porch. And then I saw him start down the stairs. When one comes to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his fellowship. I had to give in. I'll give you the key, I said sadly, but you'll have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't got the strength to do it. And Jesus said, just give me the key. Just give me the key. Just give me the key. And for some reason, when God was doing business with Zacchaeus, in his house on this day, there was a smell in that house. There was a hall closet in that house. And there was something dead in there. And more than likely, what was dead in there is Zacchaeus' love of money. Let me stop. Let me stop for a minute. Let me stop right here and ask you a few questions. What's in your hall closet? What is it in your life that smells up the whole house? What is it in your life that smells so bad that your husband smells it, but he doesn't want to share it with you? Or you smell it, and you don't want to share it with your husband? What is it? What is the one room that you don't want Jesus to visit right now in your life? What is it? What is the area or areas of your life that when Jesus points to them, you get angry? I do. I've got many of them. What is the one or two areas that you would say this statement to Jesus? Come on, let's just be real. It's too much. I'm not going to give you the key. What is it? I think we all share Zacchaeus' problem. I think that one big, smelly, dead, rotten area of our lives is actually this area of our pocketbooks. And I just want you to know, I don't think I'm any different than any of you. I think I'm probably worse than all of you in it. Somebody asked a Catholic priest about all the confessions that he had listened to over the course of his ministry, and he said, I've heard them all. Oh, the stories I've heard, he says, the sin, the struggle, the pain, but very, very few times have I heard people talk about their greed. Very few times have I heard people talk about their materialism. Very too few times have I heard people talk about their love of money. By the way, 
You could be a college student here today and only be making 25 cents a day because your mom was putting that in your bank. You could still be the most greedy college student in the world. Did you know that? It, it's so easy for us to, we have all kinds of complex rationalizations about our money. Almost 99% of Christians today give away 2% of their income on a yearly basis. Midtown's no different. Why? What has happened to us? Think about that question. What's happened to us? Think about that for yourself. What's happened? You've got to ask yourself the question, and you won't like me after I ask this question. Why have we become a rotten, smelly generation of radical minimalists? I'll say it again. Why have we become a rotten, smelly generation of radical minimalists? And I'm the king of the truth. Everything about us is about the minimum, especially as it relates to our time and as it relates to our stuff or our service and as it relates almost especially to our money. I'm not going to give my money away or I'll tell you what, let me, if it's 10%, if that's what the standard is, which by the way, I think we're going to talk about that in the third week, if God says, give, give freely, don't be compelled to give, but give out of the, the overflow of your heart, he says. We're going to show that scripture later. Why? why what's going on? I mean, why, then why do I want to know just the minimum? Do you too? Is it because, um, doggone it, I'm a, I'm a red-blooded American, and I'll work hard, and my money, my money? Huh. And What? You don't, don't, no, no, you don't go there. Huh. It's a hot spot back here. Stay away. I mean, come on. When was the last time you looked at your friends at Starbucks and said, hey, dude, do you give me money to the church? <laughs> That's a joke. We don't do that. I'll tell you why. One of the reasons I struggle with is because I, I make my money. My money is my money. I earn my money. I work hard during the week to earn my money, and I'm, I'm an earner. I work hard. It's mine. It's my money. But notice this in the story where Zacchaeus, his money went from all of a sudden mine to whose? God's. I remember when I took my kids when they were young to go have ice cream. Get in the car, put them in the car seats, the whole shot, everything, everywhere. We go, we get the ice cream. I hold them up. They're little, they can't see the glass. And they want bubble gum ice cream, the worst ever. I hold them up, legs kicking me. Which one do you want? Oh, and all, it's on. Like, I, I don't know. They just love the ride, you know? Finally, we, we pick the ice cream, and I say, hey, this, today's a big day. What do you want? You want chocolate and sprinkles? Everything. You can, they can put everything on there. Steak, fries, whatever. What do you want on this thing? They load this thing up. We get back in the car, and I look over at, at one of these ice cream, and I go, you know, one of the girls, and I says, hey, can I have a look at that? No. That's exactly, come on, no, it's mine. I went, you're kidding, right? 
That's what I'm thinking. I'm going, you're kidding, right? Girl, I earned money to put gas in the tank to take you to the ice cream parlor to get you out of your car seat to hold you over and look into the ice cream to choose bubblegum ice cream. I brought in, I chose that you could have sprinkles. I gave you all of it. We put you back in. Now we're heading home. And now that's yours. And you are not going to give me a lick of your ice cream. You're kidding, right? Guess what? That's exactly what God says to me and you every day. You're kidding, right? I have given you everything that you need in this life. I have placed you in this time and space. Everything that you have, listen now, everything that you have, even the breath you're taking right now is because of my goodness to you. If I chose, I could have, I could have given you birth in 1402 in Tibet. You would have never experienced bubblegum ice cream. Ever. I would have just let you be on a mountain and hum over goats your whole life. I don't know. But guess what? He chose to give me this life. He chose to say, this is what I've given you. And guess what? It's all because of my goodness. You're kidding me, right? You're kidding me that this, what you have, you would actually look at me and say, this is mine. It's not mine. I was talking to a musician a couple weeks ago, and we were, he was talking, we were talking about the tour he was on. And he, he said this statement. He says, well, this is our tour. And he began talking about it. And he goes, I go, hey, bro, just to let you know, it's not your tour. And what I was saying is what I say, what I've tried to say to myself every day. It's not your tour. It's not about you. It's the Lord's tour. You're a steward of the tour. You are a steward of every good gift God gives you. You're a steward. The money you make, the things that you can put in your mouth is because of God's goodness. Now, let's finish this up. But Zacchaeus, for Zacchaeus here, and it's modeled all the way through the scriptures, for Zacchaeus, radical transformation equaled radical generosity. Did you get what I said? Radical transformation equaled radical generosity. The two are always, always, always combined. Radical generosity is giving that flows out of our personal encounter with the gospel. Jesus was rich. He became poor so that we who were poor could become rich. It's always associated In the book of Acts, we see the early Christians were marked by sudden and spontaneous, extreme generosity. In Acts 2.41, it says, those who accepted this message were baptized. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and here's the kicker. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had a need. What in the world happened in their lives? Something radical had to happen in their lives, inside of them deeply to make them be so quick, spontaneous, and insane about their stuff and their money. And what is it that's happening to us that we don't do any of that anymore? 
does anybody say this about us? Does anybody say this about us? Does anybody say, boy, those Midtowners, they're, they're, the, mo- they're the most giving, generous people. That's unbelievable. It just, it just astounds me. Do your neighbors say that about you? A few weeks ago, I'm working in my shop in my neighborhood up my garage. A neighbor walks by. He goes, <clears throat> and I go, you know, I'm surprising. He says, hey, my name's uh, Jim. I, I uh, just down the road here, I'm one of your neighbors. And, and I'm, as soon as he said it, here's, how I've, here's what I was thinking. He's going to ask me for a tool. He's seen all my tools. I want you to, I want you to hear the, the, the real diabolical evil, that this flesh inside of me. Yep, he's drove by my house many times, seen all my tools hanging up. Yeah, he probably is going to use them, and I know what he's going to want, and he's going to take that, and then he's going to break it. He's going to bring it back, and I'm going to have to fix it or buy a new one. That's, that's a man who believes <laughs> that everything that I have in my garage is really mine, and I've earned it. That's a man who doesn't understand the economy that Jesus is talking that. Jesus is talking about and that that's a man who doesn't understand his transformation because when I begin to get in touch with what God's done for me through his son Jesus I, I, I really to tell you the truth I want to be just crazy insane about what I give away about what's it's not mine you know so that's why we would be generous that's why you would think about being generous with your with everything there's a reason for it God, thank you so much for um, an opportunity that we have again to uh, see in your word uh, people that do things uh, differently than we do. Um, We thank you for your mercy and your grace and the fact that you choose us crazy people out of the trees of our lives and you do such unbelievable work in us that you can work through such uh, cracked, broken vessels is really an amazing thing and we, we have so much to confess every day, and I know that I sure do. And Lord, um, I confess um, my need of me, most of all. And I confess um, my materialism and my greed. And I, uh, Lord, need a massive intervention. I, I need you to speak to me. I need to hear words about uh, who I am in you. I need to respond much differently than I have in my life. And I pray that on all of us today. We thank you for another day that we can come together as your family. A lot of us um, have a lot of things going on in our lives. And some are very distracted, and yet some are uh, in a different place. And you're a God who cares about all those places. We thank you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.